0: Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Is anybody excited to be in the house of God today? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I'm very honored to be before you today as Pastor Jeff um, gets a little R&R. You know, we all need to rest and recharge. And I know that when Pastor Jeff comes back uh, this week, he's going to be fired up. I just know he is. And, you know, I'm really excited about what God is doing in Turning Point Church. I mean, I just feel um, just a vibrant energy that God is moving and God is working. I, I know for a fact he's moving in the youth and the young adults, which is the ministries that I steward. But I see all throughout the church, you know, my kids are in the children's ministry, and, and the Lord is moving there, too. And I, I'm just really, really excited about what God is doing at Turning Point Church. Is anybody else excited about what God is doing? I just believe that there are so many things that are going to happen this year, and so many more people and souls are going to be coming to the cross. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Uh, by the way, if you are a young adult here, I want to invite you into a vibrant, thriving community of young adults, and we meet every single Friday. Connect with me after service. I want to personally invite you out to Awakening. We're making disciples out of youth and young adults. Amen. And I think that's very important. In fact, with our, with our younger young adults, and we're talking 18 to 23 year age, um, maybe even up to 25, the college age, we're looking for mentors. So if that is, if that is something that's on your heart, get with me and um, we can talk. All right. So I want to get into the scripture and then I'm going to pray. I'm coming out of Mark eight thirty four. I believe the Lord has laid this on my heart strongly. And so let's go ahead and get into it, and then we'll pray. And calling the crowd to him, this is this is Jesus talking about Jesus, calling the crowd to Jesus with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. God, we thank you for your word right now, O Lord. God, we invite you right now to do a work in our hearts. We know your presence is here. We thank you for your presence. And so now, God, open up our hearts of understanding, O Lord, that we might hear what you have to say. God, I do not want anyone to hear my opinion. I don't want them to hear my thoughts, Father. I want them to hear, thus saith the Lord. And God, I pray, Lord, fruit will come forth out of today's message. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So today I want to talk about discipleship. I want to talk about discipleship. When we came to Jesus The goal was not just salvation. It was not just to get our ticket to heaven, punch our ticket, say, I got my fire insurance, I'm on my way to heaven. God had something greater in mind, and that was following Jesus for the rest of our lives. That's why we're still here. If it was just about salvation, we would have just been raptured right up as soon as we came to the altar and gave our heart to Christ. But he left us here for a reason, and I believe strongly that we are to point others to Christ. We are to follow Christ, point others to Christ. We are to be discipled. We are to make disciples. And this should be an ongoing process. It's not just a Sunday thing. God wants us to be visible in our community, schools, jobs, neighborhoods, wherever we're at, at home especially. He wants us to be visible everywhere we go, not just here. Because it's easy for us to come in, right, and and be a Christian on a Sunday, but then we live like the world on a Monday, that was not what Jesus had in mind when he died on the cross. When he called his first disciples, they left everything. And we're going to look at that here in a second. But if you look at the word disciple, in the Greek is mathetes. And that means a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle they require. It's, it's a student. It's a learner. It's a pupil. And so the call to follow to follow Jesus is to follow not just him, but his teachings whether we agree with them or not, is to follow the knowledge and and also acknowledge him openly, especially among those who don't know him. See, we cannot just be shining bright in here. In fact, I would say we need to shine brighter out there than we do in here. So we need to be open, acknowledging Christ in, in our lifestyle, because it is a new lifestyle. And the first disciples, they understood this because the Bible says they left all that they had to follow Jesus. Now, just think about the context of that today for us. What would it look like for you to leave everything you have to follow Jesus? Listen, the disciples left their their trade, their occupation. They weren't just fishing because, like we do, we just go out for a leisure time to fish. This was how they put food on the table. This is their livelihood. From sun up to sun down, every single day, they went out and they fished some of the disciples. And you got the tax collector, Matthew, and, and so on and so forth. But when Jesus came to the twelve, the Bible says he appointed them so that they might be with him. And I want to focus on that word with real quick because it's more, more than what you think it is. When I looked up with, it means change afterward. Did you hear that? That they might change after being with him. It, it, it connotes this. It looks forward to the after effect. It's the change as a result of being with Christ. And too many times I don't see in modern Christianity, I really don't, just to be honest. I mean, I'm in the trenches sometimes with these youth and young adults. And, and I know people make a profession. But I don't see a change afterwards. Today is going to be, I know it's not going to be something you want to hear. I know, but I have to do what the Lord called me to do today. I have to say what the Lord says because I, I think sometimes we get too involved in churchianity. We come to church, we're good about religious deeds and we know when to stand up during certain songs and, and we know we got to give our tithes and offerings and we, you know, we shake hands and we greet and we hug and all those things are good and well, but sometimes it turns into a, a a, a vacuum sometimes it turns into a bubble to where we forget about the lost and we we forget about what we do outside the church and we just focus on what's going on here and now but i'm telling you right now what happens here is supposed to carry over into monday it's supposed to carry into tuesday to wednesday all throughout the week it is not a one-time thing our homes should be radically changed because of the gospel and if it was, if you if you look at a poll and you see that there's millions of professing Christians in the United States, but if we took it from a profession into a possession and we really taught the word of God at home, I really don't think we would have as many problems as we have in the United States right now. Because the gospel is power unto salvation. First unto the Jews and then to the Gentiles, that is us. And it changes. So the disciples—they were always with Jesus, constantly behind the scenes, seeing all the workings. And in the public, they they saw all the miracles, they saw all the or heard all the sermons, and and they saw how he related p- with people. And he always took the time out for people. He wasn't too busy that he couldn't just sit there and talk to somebody about the gospel, or that he couldn't share uh, uh, some insight of God. And and they responded to him. There was a leaving. There was a breaking ties with the world. There was immediate obedience. It wasn't simply coming up and repeating a prayer. You never even read that in the Bible. They needed to be trained up for the call as a disciple and so they had to be with Jesus all the time. That prompts the question, how much time are we spending with Jesus? Do we just spend time with Jesus here? Or are we spending time with him every single day? Because if we're not spending time with him every single day, I promise you this, you're not going to grow as a Christian. You will shrink back. I promise you. How do I know? Because I've done it. Now, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The New Testament says it like this, turn from your selfish ways. To deny oneself means to disown. It means to utterly refuse or to recognize the in, or the original source involved. We've got to utterly refuse and recognize the old person that we were. That that is no longer who we identify with. That we are not that person anymore. I know sometimes those thoughts might creep up and the attitudes that we had when before we were saved. But we have to disown that right now and say this is not what the word of God says. That I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. The old attitudes. The old thoughts. The old mindset. The old ways. It's all gone. I am a new person. Amen. It's relinquishing personal control of your life. We have so many self-help books, even in Christian bookstores. I mean, you you can't just go into a Christian bookstore and get a good quality book without really searching. There's so many self-help seminars and conferences, and even coming right now from the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Listen, we don't need any more self-help. This is not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, deny yourself. I will say it again. The Scripture says, deny yourself. It's not about building ourselves up. It's about building Jesus up. We need the character of God flowing through us, not the character of me. We need the character of Jesus rooted and grounded in us. Because if we're living a self-centered life, the Bible says, we would lose our life. We're seeking to to save our life, we lose our life. But if we lose our life for his name's sake, we will save it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you're not familiar with him, there's a really good book called The Cost of Discipleship. And I'm pulling a quote from there. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If we are not dying for Christ, then we're not really living for Christ. I'm going to say it again. If we're not dying for Christ, in other words, dying to our will and saying, not my will, God, but your will be done. If we're not doing that, then we're not really living for Christ. What does it mean to take up your cross? Well, it's it's dying to self-will. Self-denial is the way of the cross. Jesus didn't think about himself when he went to the cross. When he took up the cross, there was no thought of, you know, should I really be doing this? He knew the Father's will, and he knew that this was what he was called to do. And the cross symbolizes rejection. It symbolizes persecution and also even death. Death. Death to self, but even maybe physical death, for naming the name of Christ. Listen, we got it good in our comfy chairs here in America. We got central air. We can go in and go out and we please. We can open our Bibles. But there's so many Christians around this nation, around this world, that don't have that luxury. Yes, I said nation as well because it is closing in on this nation where you cannot go to church anymore. What happened with the lockdowns, right? Come on, somebody. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't go in and assemble with the saints. Listen, that is a foretaste of what could happen here in America. But I promise you this, all around the world right now, Christians are being persecuted and put in prison and even dying for the cross of Christ right now as we speak. And they are loving it. They are not shying away from it. They know who they serve. They know who they love. They know who they follow. And they are saying, let's go. And I don't know how many Christians in America would would really keep serving God, including myself, I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, I've got it all together. When the pressure gets turned up, would we really, really stand for Christ? Amen. Crucifixion was common in Roman times, and it was associated with criminals. Someone someone uh, was carrying a cross. Everyone knew that was a criminal. They had to commit some heinous crime, right, and that they were going to die for that crime. Anyone carrying that cross was condemned to die. And the disciples had this in mind when Jesus said, take up your cross. They knew that they must be willing to die. They knew that they could suffer and they would suffer. They knew that they could be persecuted and they would be persecuted simply by naming the name of Christ, because the cross meant suffering and death, and we are called to pick up our own. Not Jesus's, we couldn't handle that, but our own cross. And let me tell you this, the cross is, the cross is a call to suffering, and we don't hear much about that in modern Christianity right now, because we want to know that we're getting blessed. We want to know that we're getting favor from God. We want to know that we're gonna, this is gonna be our year, that everything's gonna work out in our favor. And then what happens when it doesn't work out in your favor? And what happens when it's not your year? And what happens when you do lose your job? And what happens when you can't find the money to to pay the bills? What happens when things are going rough on your job and when people are persecuting you for your faith? Don't sit here and tell me that is the vision for the year, that God is going to bless you and that all things are going to happen for your good, because yes, they will happen for your good, but you're going to have to suffer for the name of Christ. Listen, listen, when I first got into Christianity, I was sold a bill of fake goods. And what happened was I became the God of my throne. Because I thought church was all about me. I thought the Bible was all about me. I thought everything in here was about how I could get my breakthrough. I thought you know, I would read scriptures totally out of context. And it made me think that every time I prayed, I would get what I asked for, for my selfish will. And that God was just some genie in the bottle and I'd just rub it, say my wish, Bam, I got it. Don't tell me you haven't heard that. You hear that from a lot of pulpits nowadays. But you don't find that in the Bible. What you do find in the Bible, that Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Will there be some good times? Absolutely. The Christian journey is great. I love it. I would not ever want to redo my life because now that I am saved, I love my life. But listen to me. It does not come without a cost. If we think that everything is just going to be Peaches and cream and we're walking down yellow brick roads and the birds are singing and everything's great and everything's gravy and oh my gosh, everyone loves me and God loves me and I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to get this and that. Those things may happen, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's also along that road, there is persecution, there is trial, there is suffering and you're going to lose some things, but God is still good and God is still great because I promise you this in the midst of your suffering. This is when you really get to know God. Paul said, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and his death. So it's identifying with him. The cross is not bills not paid or cars breaking down. You know, those are bad things, but that's not the cross. The cross that we're supposed to take up is because we name the name of Christ. And when you do it openly out in this world, you will get persecuted. It may not be on the level of some of these countries that, you know, communist countries and dictatorships. But there will be a form of persecution when you talk about Jesus, and we need to be talking about him, because he's the only cure for what's going on in this world. Amen? Amen. So, taking up the cross means identifying with Christ, and that also means in suffering. That means in rejection, because Christ got rejected as well, and it also could mean death. Are we willing to pay that price? Because we're not promised that we would never die for for sharing our faith we're not promised that we could but we should be prepared because the real test comes as a disciple when everything is falling apart when the going gets tough come on when trials come knocking at your door this is a real test of whether you truly believe in what you read and what you see in the bible and what you know about jesus this is the true test it's easy for us to pray when things are going good, right? When everything the bills are paid and we get that raise and, and everything's going good and our friends are there for us. But what happens when those things don't happen and things start getting tough in our life and the pressure is turned up? Are we still going to serve Christ with the same fervency, with the same passion, with the same fire that we had when we first got saved? So he said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. To follow Jesus, that is the thing that was to be done. That is the, the gain Unlike modern day Christianity that we're seeing pushed and peddled, listen, we don't want to follow man, we want to follow Jesus. Don't follow me, don't follow Pastor Jeff, don't follow Pastor Brennan, don't follow your favorite TV evangelist. Follow Jesus, because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, we don't follow because we want a better life, or we want to be better members of society. We don't even follow because we want to be a better person. We follow because he alone is worthy. He is the Messiah, he has the life in his hands, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he alone is worthy of praise, hallelujah. So we follow after him in his example and his teachings and obedience. Look at John eight thirty one. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, catch this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We always hear that part. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But look at verse 31. If you abide in my word, abide means to live, to dwell, to be in a continual thing. If you continually are in his word, you're continually holding his word, you're continually walking in obedience in his word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen, we've got to continue to be in his word. And and if he's saying, if you continue in my word, you are my disciple, then what's the contrast there? If we don't continue in his word, we're not really his disciple. Now it gets a little tight, right? See, nobody needs to poke and prod you or should have to poke and prod you to have a daily devotion with God. You are a disciple of God. You're a disciple of Jesus. You are following after his teachings. If you are doing that, no one has to encourage you to get in the word. No one has to encourage you to pray. No one should say you need to go to church. No one should say you need to evangelize. Because Why? This is a normal life of a disciple of Jesus. I'm coming from a heart of love because I'm telling you right now, the hour is near, y'all. This, this is not time to play games anymore. It's not time to just keep coming to church and living life as normal. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a distinction from the world. There's got to be a breaking. There's got to be a tying loose of those things that the world holds dear. So if you continue in his word, you are showing you are his disciple. We shouldn't have to be prodded; We should want to. So trusting and obeying his word is a test of whether you are a disciple of Jesus. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel. Another version says, examine yourselves. What he's going to say here, remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is he saying here? He's saying hold fast to that word. Don't let it slip away. Lay hold of it. Hold firmly. Treasure it. Keep it. And I like what he says when he says being saved. Too many times we equate being saved as coming to the altar and repeating a prayer. And as long as we were sincere about that prayer, then we're good to go. But I can't tell you how many times in my 20-plus years of being a a Christian, people that I know, family members, that have repeated a prayer, and then they go back to the same lifestyle they were in. It's not about repeating a prayer. It's not about whether you're sincere or not. It's a lifestyle change, and we cannot do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. Listen, we need the Holy Spirit working through us, and we need each other. When we see a young person or just any person come up here and they they they, they want to receive Christ into their heart, something in us should say, I need to come alongside them. I need to come up to them. I need to get their number. I need to exchange information. I need to follow up with them. I need to make sure that this baby survives. Because listen, uh, just in the natural, if if someone has a baby, if that woman just gives that baby a bottle and leaves that baby in the corner and just walks away and never comes back to that baby, what's going to happen to that baby? That baby's going to die. When someone becomes born again, they are a newborn spiritual believer. They are new. They are babies in the faith. This is something new to them. It's a new way of lifestyle. And just like a baby in the natural is coming from one world, from the mother's womb to another world here in the earth, they are coming from a, an old world into a new world of doing things, and they need help. They need nourishment. They need encouragement. They need someone to to, to hold them up and to keep them strong because the trials are coming, and they need someone that's that's been in this thing that's a little more mature, that can say, hey, I know what you're going through right now. Because when I got saved, the devil came after me too. And let me encourage you. Let me pray for you. Let me help you. But too many times, too many times, I think as believers, we just watch them come in and and they, they say, I want Christ. And then they just walk out and they're just left to figure it out on their own. But they can't. So, it's not a one-time thing. Are we, tr- we trusted Christ at salvation, or are we trusting him today? Now, he mentioned, unless you did it in vain, that means without purpose or, or, or for nothing. We didn't accept Christ for nothing. There was a reason we came to Christ. I, I hope there was a reason. I hope we haven't come to Christ on false pretenses, that everything was going to be great in our life. Or that we saw a family member come, and we said, well, maybe I should do the same thing. Or I want to be a part of the club, whatever that is. I hope we came for the fact that we know that he alone holds eternal life and we know that we need eternal life and we are, we are fearful that someday we're going to be faced with the judge of all judge and he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew who you were. And that, and that might be welling up in our spirit to say, I cannot bank my whole life and say that I'm going to live here after life and I don't know where I'm going to go and I don't know who Jesus is. I hope we came on the pretense of that to know alone that he alone holds life and that he has something that we need because that's why he is savior. Now John 13 says a new commandment I give to you. Look at this, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He says by this, by this, all People will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say if you have a lot of word of God knowledge of the Bible. He didn't say if you had the gifts of the Spirit. They're going to know you're my disciple. He didn't say you know if you're a good person. You shake people's hands. You're a good uprighting or upstanding, uh, uh, outstanding citizen and you're you're good at work, and you don't cheat on your wife, and, and you don't cheat on your taxes. And, you know, he didn't say any of that. Surely some of those things are good, right? But he says, one thing will show that you are my disciple is the love you show to one another. That's it. That's it. Do we really love believers in Christ? I'm talking about true believers, because I know there's, some that you know you hear all the time oh man i can't stand christians you know i've heard that from christians maybe they're not really christians who you're talking about but a true follower of christ we should love each other it's like a new family i look at the people in this place as my true family i really do i love my natural family the family that god has given me but this is my blood-bought family This is my blood-bought family. We've been in the trenches in some things. I know that this is my family, and you have to love the body of Christ. You have to love the people of Christ. I know sometimes we might get on each other's nerves, but listen, if we are loving sinners out in the world who are doing wrong and doing things against the commands of God more than we love Christians, something is wrong. If we like being with them more than we do Christians, something is wrong. There's a cost. Let me give this last scripture. This is really powerful. Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, talking about disciples, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Should not have said that. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. It seems like a harsh response, but we'll get into it. Jesus said to him, Lead the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow. And who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So looking at this first person, he said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response was, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, that was not his home. And this is not our home. So don't get too comfy. (laughs) Don't get too comfortable. I think sometimes we settle in and we put all our chips to the table for earth when we need to be putting all our chips in the table for eternity. Because we're not going to be here forever, y'all. So the call of Christ is not comfortable. It's not convenient. It's not an easy path. And I think we've gotten way too comfortable today. I know I have. Way too comfortable. We've got so many luxuries surrounding us and so much access on just on our phones that can distract us away from the call on our life of what Jesus has called us to do. And then there was another one who said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Again, that sounds like a harsh response, but what was said here was he was the firstborn, and he had an inheritance waiting for him, and his father had not passed yet. <laughs> he's, he's using a future excuse. He's basically saying, my father is going to pass one day, and I want to make sure I get my inheritance, so I need to go back home and wait for that event to happen, and when it happens and I get my inheritance, then I'm going to follow you, Jesus. That's why Jesus said what he said. He said, let the dead bury the dead. He wasn't just talking about physical. He was talking about spiritual. Because that's an excuse of a spiritual dead person. I won't go now, God. But let me let these things get in line and then I'm going to follow after you. I hear it so many from young people. So many young people talking about uh, teenage age who, who really don't want to follow Christ. There's a lot that, that think that, you know what, when I get older, I'll do the church thing. You may never get older. You may never get that opportunity. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to follow God. Not tomorrow, don't put it off. It is now, now, now. And another thing is this. We should love our family, but our family commitments and relationships should never take precedence over obeying God. Never. I had faced a lot of difficulty with my family when I first came to Christ. And got made fun of a lot by people that were supposed to love me <laughs> um, because I was always at church i remember I remember times when I was doing things at church, and it wasn't like necessarily a service, but maybe something during the week and but I had committed to it, maybe like a food bank or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but when I first got saved, I was involved in a lot of things at church, and I remember my mom, my brother, other people in my family, say, man, you're always at church. Why are you always at church? Or even on a Sunday. You can miss one Sunday. I'm sure God will understand. <laughs> yes, he would understand. But what, I, what they didn't understand was I loved going to church. I loved being around the people of God. I knew that as a young man at the age of 21, That there was so much of a pull from the world that I had to be in the house of God. And I remember when my former pastor first gave me a key to the church and that was one of the happiest days of my life because I could go into the church anytime I wanted to now and I would. I would spend days upon days on my knees in the sanctuary just praying and seeking God. I would spend Saturdays all day, and I'm not saying this to boast. I'm just saying that I had to get firm and stand strong in my faith at an early age because I knew the world was trying to pull me back, and I needed to be in God's presence. We need to be in God's presence every chance we can get. I mean, this place should be full of people. This place should be brimming at the at the seams with volunteers and people answering the call of God because the need is great because many people are coming in here hearing the gospel for the first time and those of us who are well seasoned and have been here for a while we need to be serving and honoring the Lord and saying God not my will but your will be done where can I serve at can I get on a camera can I get in the sound booth can I usher can I greet I mean we need to really just throw ourselves out there and say God use me until I've been used." Up. And so another one said, Lord, I, let me follow you, but first I'm going to say farewell to those at home. And then here's something very, very unique, very striking. Why would Jesus respond this way? He said, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. It's not worthy to follow. And what he's talking about here is the farmers in those days with their ox they would have an object on the horizon, just some kind of object. Who knows what it is, a stationary object. And they would line up the head of the ox to that object so it would be right above their head. And they would keep plowing forward. As long as that object was right in the middle of the head of the ox, they knew they were plowing straight. But the minute they looked to the left, the minute they looked to the right, the minute they looked back, there was a chance that object would shift a little bit. And if so, then the lines that they were cutting in the fields would be crooked. Listen, God wants us to keep focusing on Jesus. He wants our eyes on the horizon. Where does my help come from? I look to the hills. My help comes from God, the maker of heavens and earth. I'm going to look at that object. I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm not going to look to the left. I'm not going to look to the right. And I'm definitely not looking back because the world has nothing to offer me anymore. My old life doesn't have anything to offer anymore. Paul said it like this. He said, I press forward. I forget the things that are behind me. And I press forward to the call of Christ. There's nothing back here anymore for me. Can I reminisce? Absolutely. But I will not dwell back there. My mind will not go back and say, I wish it was like the good old days. No, the good days are right now because the kingdom of God is now and the gospel is needed now. And he wants to use every single one of us to bring glory to his name. What an awesome privilege and honor to glorify God. So faith is forward and upward. If we're looking back, then we're drawing back. And once we begin this, we must finish it. We must finish the course by the grace that he gives us. We must get off the fence. We can't be double-minded because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We need to be consistent with God and have a true commitment. In closing, I want to say this, and can you go ahead and stand to your feet? I want to reemphasize what Jesus said. He didn't. He said, "Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me." When Jesus left his disciples, what he said was this: the Great Commission. Go therefore to all nations, and make disciples. He said nothing else important in that moment, but taking the gospel to all the nations and making disciples. So the question I have to ask myself, and I've been doing a lot more examining in the past year or so, am I really taking the gospel to all nations? Am I really making disciples? Or am I just playing church? Or am I just seeing my friends at church and I'm happy to see them and everything and then I just go back and sit down on the couch and watch TV and think nothing about that brother or sister that's that's younger in the faith that's living alone, that might need some help, some encouragement, some prayer. I've done that so many times, y'all, but I feel the urgency in my spirit that those days have to be gone because I look around me And there's so many people now filled more with hopelessness than there ever was. And there's so many people now suffering. And and we have the hope. We have the antidote. And what are we doing with it? So how should we respond? For one, I believe all, including myself, we need to repent. Not a popular word in pulpits today, but repentance is a great word. Because how many of you know that we need help? I need help. I can't... Listen, I may be good today, I may be focused on God today, but tomorrow it could be a different story. Just like the children of Israel, they, they were told to gather manna just for that day and not keep any leftovers. What they were shown was you need to continually depend on God every single day to provide for you. Not just your physical needs and the things that you want, but spiritually, spiritually. God, you I need you every day <laughs> I can't go off of yesterday's sermon I saw on YouTube I can't go on my devotion time Which was good yesterday I need it today I need you today And I need to grow in that There was another proof of discipleship I'm not going to get too far into that But it was that we bear fruit Bearing fruit is We're like Jesus The characteristics of Jesus that's what the world needs to see. They don't need to see a better version of us, a better version of me. They need to see Jesus. Amen. So I want to pray. And if you're in this building right now, we're going to, um, at the end, we're going to have a couple announcements. That at the end, you can meet me. And if there's anyone here on, from the prayer team that wants to meet me here at the end, um, we're going to pray. We're not going to do some magical prayer to enter you into the kingdom because that's not what it is. Going to agree together, that God would save you, that God would fill you, that that He that began the good work in you in Philippians one six will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And if you're in here today and you say, you know what, I have been on the fence. I've been a Sunday Christian, but I have not been a all the week at home outside of the church Christian. Today is the day to repent and start afresh and start new. God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for a heart that says, God, yes, I'm willing. Please help me. I can't do it on my own. I can't shake this addiction. I can't shake this habit. This thing is hanging me up. I want to drop every weight and sin, but I need your help. This is what God is looking for. He's looking for a heart that says, I need you. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. The burden has been laid on our hearts, God. Some of us in here, know that we need to give our hearts to you god that we we don't know where we would be if we died today god we don't know what our destination would be we don't know who you are we've never received you we've never accepted the the death barrel and resurrection of jesus as the payment for our sins god we need salvation some of us are in here for that god some of us have a burden on our heart that says i have not truly been living like a christian like a follower of jesus I'm not always in the word and I know I should be I'm not I'm not following outside of church and God you said also in Romans 8 1 there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus God just because we're not getting your word we're not condemned Christ already paid the payment but father we should have a hunger and a thirst after righteousness we should have a desire to want to commune with you God and, and, and if that's not there Father I've been there Lord and I know how it feels if that's not there oh Lord I pray right now you awaken hearts right now Jesus awaken those hearts jumpstart those hearts God recharge those hearts Father that their heart would beat after nothing but the blood of Jesus that their hearts would beat after nothing but doing your will God and not the way of the world so Father, Father God we need you to change us right now into your image from glory to glory, God, we need you. So do it, Father. Holy Spirit, come right now. Have your way. Have your way, Jesus. Come on, if that's you, don't be ashamed to say, have your way, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Cry out to Him. I need you, Jesus. The time is short. I need you, God. Night comes when no man can work. Work while it is day. Work while you have the light. Work while you have the the word of God before you. Do the work of God. We submit it to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.